Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Well, good morning. I'm Stephen Baker, one of the pastors here. Again, we're glad to have you if you're new and if you're visiting. Um, actually, it's weird today because there's only two pastors here. Everyone else is gone. Uh, but it's good. It's good that they're gone. They're able to get away. So, if you need to talk to a pastor today, today it's Jody or I. Jody or me, whatever it is. Well, we're going to read Psalm 33 this morning. Um, you know, our musicians are going through the Psalms. They haven't gotten here yet, but they're getting there. And um, this is the next in line. And as it turns out, it's also a, an excellent Psalm for us to think about um, and to contemplate and to meditate on at the beginning of this, the end of this year, the beginning of the new one. So God built the cosmos right, the world, the universe, and everything in it, he built it to mark out times and days and seasons and years. We read that in Genesis, right, where he, he, he literally built the structure of the, of the world to mark those things out. And then he built us to see it and to recognize it and to, and to mark it times and days and seasons and years. So it's good for us to notice and remember to look backwards and forwards, both. But we have to do that with faith and with hope. Faith looks backwards, you could say, at what God has done. Hope looks forward to what he's promised to do. This is how God built us. He built us to look back and to look forward and to think. So let's read Psalm 33. I hope this will help us to do that uh, this year. Psalm 33. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of 10 strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. 
The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. This is the word of the Lord. And so he says at the beginning, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. So let's, let's stop there for a second. Sing for joy in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. So is that you? Is this you? Righteous and upright. Well, is it or not? So this gives us some trouble, doesn't it? As we read this, and if you have a conscience that's tender at all, right? You read this and you think, wait a minute. Oh, so this, so this isn't about me. I'm not righteous. We, we prayed, Jody was leading us in, in prayer earlier, and he said, rightly, right, that we have no righteousness to bring to God. We have nothing to offer to him. Nothing at all. And yet here is a psalm addressed to those who are righteous, to those who are upright, who walk according to the, to the standard of God, God's own righteousness. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, here's what we do with it. We, we do what the Bible does with this, right? There are two kinds of righteousness. And the fact is, if you're a Christian... Okay, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and you've cast all of your hope onto him, you have both kinds of righteousness. Think about this. The first kind of righteousness that we have as Christians is the righteousness that's given to us. Okay, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's given to us. The word we use is it's imputed to us. It's given, it's credited to us. It's applied to us. It's an alien righteousness. That's what, that's what Luther would have said. It's a, it's a righteousness that doesn't belong to us by nature. It's outside of us. This is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Perfect obedience to the law of God. Perfect obedience to the character and the law of God. That's what Jesus Christ has. He accomplished that on the earth as a man. The Son of God became a man so he could obey the law for us. And he takes that righteousness and he gives it to us. He gives it to you. All right, that's, part, that's, that's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It means to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you so that you, God can say, you are righteous. Not because you're righteous, but because Jesus is righteous. Okay? 
Now, if you don't understand that, you don't understand the gospel. That's what the gospel is about. If you don't understand it, talk to us. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But that's what it is. He has, he has credited his righteousness to us if you trust in him. He has taken all of your sin and put it on Jesus Christ and taken the righteousness of Christ and put it on you. Are you all with me? Okay. That's one kind of righteousness. There's another kind of righteousness actually also that Christians have. Not the righteousness of Christ, but your righteousness. And I know we say we don't have any righteousness, but the fact is, no, you don't have any righteousness of your own. And yet, if you're a Christian, he has given you his Holy Spirit, he has given you a new heart, and he calls you and commands you to be holy. So you could think of it this way. Um, Imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you, Uh, He calls you holy, right? You are holy, that's what it means to be a saint, and all through the Bible, that's what we're called. Saints, holy ones, righteous ones, and yet on, on the other hand, at the same time, because of that, he calls us to be holy. He calls us holy, he calls us to be holy. Holiness means making your life, your heart, your words, your actions, your thinking, all of it conform to the law of God, to the, to the image of Jesus Christ. And the whole Bible is filled with commands to us to do that. And not just commands to do it, but promises that we will. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. All right? Um, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He's given us not just, thank God he has given, everything rests on this, the imputed righteousness of Christ because none of our, our own righteousness will ever suffice, okay? And yet he commands us to, to, to be holy, and promises the Holy Spirit to us to fight against our sin and our flesh to make us able to be holy. So actually there are two kinds of righteousness. We never hope on this one. We never put our trust, we never hold up to God our righteousness and say look, I did really good this week. Because I mean, you, you did better maybe than last week. Maybe not. But that's not what our standing with God is built on. See, it's built on the righteousness of Jesus. And yet, we are called to be holy. And so the psalm addresses this way, talks about us this way. The the whole Bible does this. Sing for joy to the Lord. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. I know, I'm not righteous and upright. I know you're not either. I mean, in other words, we, we all have sin still in us. Yes? Yes? This time of year kind of turns up the heat and boils it all up, doesn't it? Like that. So we, have, we know our sin. If you don't know your sin, there's no hope for you. We take our stand only on the righteousness of Jesus. That's our only hope and yet we're called righteous. 
We are called to be righteous. Okay? So don't let this throw you. Don't let this uh, somehow sidetrack you into thinking, wait, this isn't for me. This is a wonderful blessing that, the, that, the, that God, over and over again, in the words of Scripture, calls you righteous and calls you upright. You won't be perfectly upright in yourself until you're standing in the presence of God when you see Jesus Christ as he is and you're fully conformed to the image of Christ. That's what's happening. That's, what, that's going to happen. But in the meantime, we are being transformed in the image of Christ. That's what scripture says. So what does it say? Sing for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. So if you are this person, this man, this woman, the righteous ones, the upright, because of the work of Christ for you, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, okay, then we are to, you are to sing for joy, give thanks, sing praises, sing a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. This is, this is, This is what God commands us to do. This is part of what righteousness looks like. This is part of what righteousness looks like, is to sing praises with joy, to give thanks with a glad heart. He says, praise is becoming to the upright, verse one. That means uh, praise looks good on you. Right? Praise is like a garment that you put on, and it looks good on the righteous. It looks good on the, it fits just right on the upright. It adorns you well. Praise is fitting, it's becoming to the upright. What else would the upright do? What else would someone who has been given the righteousness of Christ, okay, to cover all of your sin and have God look at you as, as righteous as Jesus is, okay? That's what it means. You have the righteousness of Christ. And to have the Holy Spirit in you able to fight against your sin, what else would we do? This is what comes out of the heart of those who know, who know God. Thankfulness, praise, joy, shouts of joy, he says. Skillfully, if you have something to play, play skillfully with a shout of joy. The instrument, whatever you, you, God has gifted you to do. All of that is rooted, all of that comes out of this righteousness that you've been given. Right? Now there's... God is very kind to us because he, he commands us to, be, to rejoice, he commands us to sing, he commands us to, uh, to give thanks. But he doesn't, um, he always gives us reasons for that. You know, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, command us to make bricks but not give us any straw, right? He's kind. And so he gives us reasons. And that's what he does next, verses four and five. Why? Why do all of that? Why all of that praise, all of that thanksgiving, all of that joy? Why? Just supposed to drum it up? No. Verses four and five. For 
The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. And so the foundation of our joy and praise and thankfulness and singing and shouting for joy, the foundation of all of that is the rock solid rightness of God's word. Do you see that? Sing for joy in the Lord, all you righteous. Give thanks, you upright. Sing and shout and play skillfully. Why? Because the word of the Lord is upright. The word of the Lord is upright. Everything he says is right. Everything he says is right, is straight. That's what that word upright means. It's straight, it's true. How can you have joy if you don't have that? How can you sing for joy in the Lord if his word is not right? If it's subject to change, if it's shaky, if, it, if it's wrong, if it's not true. His word, in his word, he gives us the, the perfect standard for everything. So his word is upright and not only is everything he says right, everything he does is right. All his work is done in faithfulness. All his work, everything he does is faithful and true and according to that standard of his word. It's according to the standard of his own character. That is the foundation of your joy. How can you sing for joy in the Lord if you doubt his word? If you're always questioning, always wondering, thinking, well, no. How can that lead to joy? It can't, it destroys your joy. You sing for joy in the Lord because his word is right. Everything he does is right. And all his words and all his acts, everything he says and does is right and faithful because he himself is right and faithful. You see what it says in verse five? He loves righteousness and justice. He loves righteousness and justice. He loves, he loves what's right. Now, how, do, how, do we, how does he know what's right? He knows what's right because he is right. There's nothing outside of him that he looks to to check his thoughts and to check his word, to check his actions. Okay, he is the standard for what's right. He is the standard for what is true. If he says it, it's because it's true. If he does it, it's because it's faithful. If he loves it, it's because that's righteous, because he's righteous. He loves righteousness and justice. Scripture says elsewhere that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The very foundation of his rule is his own righteousness and his own justice, and he loves it. He's not capricious, he's not um, mean, he's not unkind, he's not unfair, he's not unjust. He's not arbitrary in what he decides 
and what he commands, he loves righteousness and justice. And then it says that his love for righteousness and justice overflows into his world. Do you see this? The earth, verse five, is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Loving kindness, that word means um, it's a word we don't use, isn't it? It's a word that means steadfast covenant loyalty. That's what it means. He makes a covenant, he sets his love on people, and he will not shake from that, and he will not be shaken from it. And he says the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, you see the loving kindness of the Lord. Or do you? Do you? Do you see everywhere you look, do you see the loving kindness of the Lord, the mercy, the kindness, the love, the compassion, the, 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 the faithfulness to his promises? Uh, you know, we look at the world and we see all kinds of bad stuff, don't we? Some of us tend to see only the bad stuff. But scripture says the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Full of it. Full of it. It's everywhere. I mean, think about this. The fact that we're sitting here breathing, feeling, tasting, hearing, all that. Relating to one another, loving each other, knowing his love, knowing the, the, love, the love of the fellowship we have with one another, just the world that he's made, all of it, it's filled with the loving kindness of the Lord. So do you have eyes for that? The word of the Lord, why, why should we sing joy for joy in the Lord, give thanks to him, sing praises, play skillfully, shout for joy? Why? Because God, the Lord, is righteous. He loves righteousness and justice. His word is upright. His acts are faithful. He pours out mercy and loving kindness all over the place, all the time. Do you need more proof of that? More proof that the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Look at verses six and seven. He drives this point deeper and he says in verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. His word is upright. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of the stars, that's what it means by the hosts, the hosts, the, the armies of the, of the heavens, the stars, the planets, the galaxies, all of that. The grandeur of all of that. He speaks and it comes into existence. People hate the truth of creation, don't they? We, people hate the truth of creation because 
creation shouts to us of an absolute person. Creation shouts to us of an absolute person. A person that made everything, as scripture tells us. We know this. Even uh, people who hate God know this. Scripture says in Romans 1, that by the things that God has made, he makes himself known to everyone all the time, everywhere, and they know him. They don't know an abstract idea that may be a creator or somehow an ultimate power, no. What Romans 1 says is that they know him. But people hate him. We hate him. It's how we come into the world. We hate him. So anything that reminds us of him, anything that reminds us of our obligation to him, our duty to him as a person, not as some abstract force, but as a person who made us and who lays obligations on us, duties, laws, makes demands of us. We hate that. But creation demands our worship, demands our praise, it demands our thankfulness because there's a person there to praise. A person has made this and given it to you. A person has formed you. A person has given you life. A person has given you life and breath and everything else, Scripture says. A person has given you everything you need, everything you have. And so that requires a personal response of worship and thankfulness, right? What, again, what it says in Romans chapter one about those who, who turn away from all of that and start worshiping, instead of worshiping the creator, they worship the creation. The beginning of all of that is they don't give thanks. They don't give thanks. In other words, I don't want to acknowledge that there's a person who's given this to me. I'm going to say this is an accident. I don't want to have to say there's a person. If there's a person, then I have to be thankful. If I'm thankful, that means I have to worship. If I'm worshiping, that means I have to obey. So creation always, we hate, we hate it. Our culture hates it. Creation demands our praise, our thankfulness, and our fear and our awe. Look at verses eight and nine. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Creation, the act of creation, the fact that God created demands from us our fear and our awe. Not just from Christians or, or not just from Americans, from Westerners, but from all the earth, he says. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. His, his worship, God is not just the God of some place. All the other gods are the gods of some place or some tribe or some group. Our Lord made the heavens and the earth. So he is the God of all people. He demands worship from all people. Reverence, fear, awe, worship, gratitude.
So sing for joy, praise him, thank him, shout for joy. His word is upright. All his works are faithful. He loves righteousness and faithfulness. He made the world. Why else? Verses 10 and 11. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Why, I'm gonna talk about this more at the end, but think about this. Why do we get so uptight, so fearful, so, um, you know, anxious about what's going on in the world? What's he say? The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Nations make plans and take counsel together. Remember Psalm 2? All the nations, the kings of the nations, the rulers of the nations, they take counsel together. They get together and they make plans. And what do they say, Psalm 2 says? Um, let's, let's throw off the law of the Lord. Let's throw it off. Let's cast away his chains. That's how they see it. What does God do in, in Psalm 2? In the face of that, what's it say? He laughs. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations and he frustrates the plans of the peoples. There is nothing that they can do that can overthrow his counsel. That's what the next verse says, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. He frustrates the plans of the peoples, but the plans of his heart stand from generation to generation. Everything he wants to do, he does. Everything he wants, everything he sets out to do, everything he has planned to do, he does. Nothing can frustrate that. Nothing can change it. Everything that happens, happens according to the counsel and the plan of God. He works all things after the counsel of his will. So think of that. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever. His, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. And then the center of the psalm, I think, is verse 12. It all comes down to this and goes out from it too. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, of course, that was written by the psalmist, whoever it is, we don't know, um, about Israel, about the nation of Israel, God's ancient people, Israel, right? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. It was about the nation of Israel, but it's about us. Not America, for crying out loud, but about us. Right? We are the ones whom God, the church, all who believe in the Lord Christ, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance, this is us. Blessed is the nation whose God 
is the Lord. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Now, it would be true of nations as well. But here it's talking about us, the people of God. There is a God in heaven whose word is upright. Everything he does, he does in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. He creates the world by the word of his mouth, the breath of his mouth. All the nations are to stand in awe of him and to fear him. That God takes people, chooses them, it says, for his own inheritance. Chooses us to receive an inheritance, a blessing. All of this is why we should praise and sing and and rejoice and exult and shout for joy. He goes on, verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven... He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He's the the king, he's the creator. And so he sits there and he looks and he sees everyone. All of us, all the time. Verse 15, he who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. He looks out and he he sees us all. He sees everyone. And what does it say? He fashions the hearts of them all. He understands all their works. He knows exactly what you're thinking, what you're loving, what you're wanting to do, what you're planning. That's what he means by the heart, right? He knows exactly what your enemies are thinking and planning and loving and wanting to do. He sees it all. He doesn't just see it all because he's got really good eyesight, right? He sees it all because he made it. He fashions the hearts of all men. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're planning. planning. He understands all of it. There are no surprises to him. Then he says in verse 16, the king is not saved by a mighty army, A warrior is not delivered by great strength. The horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. But, verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Deliverance doesn't come from any stuff or any plan or any material or any supplies or any strength. It comes from God. Now think about this. Think about this year. Think about last year. What was hard about last year? Anything? I mean your last year in your life? What was hard about last year? Nothing? What, what do you resent about last year? 
The mold in the floor? Yeah, Brian, the mold in the floor. That's an easy thing to resent. What are you bitter about because of last year? What are you bitter about from last year? What are you angry about still? Who are you angry at? Ultimately. What are you mourning from last year? Maybe it's a good thing to mourn. Maybe it's your sin. Are you mourning it as someone without hope or are you mourning as a Christian who's been given the righteousness of Christ? Think about this coming year. What are you afraid of in this coming year? What are you afraid of? What are you dreading? What are you hoping for? What are you, what, where are you putting your trust? What are you, what are you trusting in? this coming year? What are you afraid of? Big stuff, little stuff? What is it? Seriously, put, put a name to it and think about it. Now think of the Lord. The word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of um, armies? It's not an unreasonable thing to be afraid of today. Are you afraid of uh, the economy? You afraid of the continual shift and, and pressure of the culture pushing us into a corner that hates God? Are you afraid of persecution? Are you afraid of something bad happening to your family? Are you afraid of catching a bug? Cancer? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of something bad happening to your children? That goes without saying, mothers. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Nothing's going to happen that isn't according to the counsel of the Lord. Nothing happened last year that wasn't according to the counsel of the Lord. He was not asleep at the switch when whatever it was happened to you, happened to you. doesn't just work for last year, it works for all of your past, right? He wasn't asleep at the switch. He, he didn't want something else to happen, but the nations thwarted his, his, his plan, or your husband or your wife or your child or your father or the 
some bad guy or some cancer thwarted his plans. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. So think about the Lord. He looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from his dwelling place. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He he who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. He sees everything that's going on. Nothing is going to get past him. Nothing is going to hit you that doesn't come from him. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. The horse is a false hope for victory. No matter how much you worry, you can't do anything about this. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. You see? That's what you have. The eye of the Lord is upon you. The eye of the Lord is on you to deliver you. To deliver you. Think of the Lord. Think of you. Righteous, upright in the eyes of God. Given the Holy Spirit everything you need for life and godliness according to the word of God, through the knowledge of God. Think of his power. He made everything. What are you worried about? Do you know how many times um, scripture, I don't know the number, so I guess this is a rhetorical question. (laughs) Over and over again, our Lord Jesus himself let alone the apostles and the prophets and everybody else in scripture, commands us to not be anxious, right? Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll wear, what you'll eat. Don't be anxious about anything. Over and over, be anxious for nothing. This is why, this is why. He ends it with this. Look at how the psalm ends in, verses, in verse 20. Our soul, so this is the people of God talking about ourselves, our soul, our souls, our soul, all of us together. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Whatever is coming at you this year, whatever it is, who knows? Who knows what's gonna come this year, right? No, God knows. God knows exactly what's coming this year. It's according to his counsel. The plans of his heart stand from generation to generation. Whatever it is, it's coming from him. But he is our help and our shield. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. The psalm started with this 
command to rejoice, right? To rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. Verse 21, for our heart rejoices in him. Why? Because we trust in his holy name. That's where rejoicing comes from. It's not just drummed up. It comes from faith. It comes from trust in his holy name. He is good. He is right. He loves righteousness and justice. He pours out loving kindness. Rejoice. Because you trust in his holy name. And then the last line is a prayer. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in you. So that word according, according as, right? What does that mean? In proportion to? Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Great hope. Great hope. Great loving kindness. So, how are you? Are you filled with hope? You have good reason to be, right? Doesn't mean this year will be easy. Doesn't mean last year was easy. Doesn't mean your life has been easy. That's not what scripture's saying, that's not what I'm saying. But there's a God in heaven who made you, made the world and everything in it. Nothing surprises him. Nothing frustrates him. Nothing thwarts his plan or his counsel. Nothing. He saw it all. He planned it all. And he's filled with righteousness and justice and loving kindness and you can trust him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please have mercy on us and fill our hearts with glad rejoicing, our mouths with rejoicing, our hearts with joy. Because of our hope and our faith in you, our trust in you, Lord, strengthen that. Forgive our anxiety, forgive our worry, forgive our bitterness. Take it away from us, I pray. And let us do what you command us here. Sing for joy. and Be filled with hope. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.